Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim and I am the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morden, the associate pastor at NBC. How are you, Tim? I'm doing all right. I, I like that it felt like you had to think about that for a second. I did. I did. <laughs> I sports today. It's the Monday of Mondays. <laughs> the Monday of Mondays. I feel like every day since we've been in quarantine has been a Monday. Oof. Oof. That's yeah. heavy, man. Yeah, heavy. Think, <laughs> ponder on that. Ponder That's on that. right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So today, picking up in the reading, mm-hmm. days 148 through 153. Is that right? I think uh, so. Something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You start with Psalm 111 and end with Song of Solomon. Right. Right. <laughs> That's what I know. <laughs> because it's a Monday. It's so, a Monday. So we have to look things up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so we were, we were talking about, we always like to start with the forest and trees, right? So what is the, what is the big picture that we find, the, the sort of thread that runs through uh, the, the, all of the readings? And then what are the details that support uh, that statement that we would say, this is, this is the big picture. Um, and usually we want for that to be theological. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want for that to be, uh, something that's devotional even, um, in that it is teaching us about the person of God. It is teaching us, uh, something about humanity and, uh, and our need for God, or, uh, it's something devotional in that it, it leads us in our walk with God. This week we, we don't really see that so much, right? Um, instead, the, the, the theme of it seems to be more about a historical transition. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird time in Israel's history. I mean, they, the passing of David, who was you know, this iconic figure, in, in the history of Israel onto Solomon. And, you know, in last week's reading, it seemed like that was a pretty smooth transition, but then we find out this week that maybe it wasn't quite as smooth as we thought, you know, we're kind of coming towards the end of the Psalms, but now we're picking up other writings. Um, yeah. So it's hard to kind of like find a, a, a theme uh, that ties everything together other than, yeah, what you suggested, kind of this, this transition, uh, you know. Yeah, from, from David to Solomon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, remember that. We'll, we'll make that a title, from David to Solomon. Mm-hmm. So let's talk, let's, talk, uh, let's talk first about the narratives. Or would you rather talk about the, the Psalms? We can go narratives. Let's talk about that. All right. So uh, the narratives pick up in the second day. Uh, although we, we did read about the death of David. Uh, mm-hmm. He comes back so that we can read about his death again. That's right. <laughs> um, he pulls Joshua on us. Right, right. No, the, the, reasoning, the reasoning is just that it's different books of the Bible chronicling the same, uh, the same event. And so we're going to have a little bit of back and forth. So the week starts off with some Psalms of David, uh, the story of David's passing, and then we come back to the... Uh, uh, the next step, which is Solomon coming in. And David has already said Solomon is going to be king. Yep. Um, 
but not everybody likes that idea. Yeah, no, one of one of David's sons who hasn't played a major role up to this point, Adonija, Adonijah, Adonijah, oh, I like that one. Um, he proclaims himself king and starts kind of bringing some key figures, mm-hmm. you know, uh, including our, our good buddy Joab, bringing them kind of into his own little circle. Uh, but David is is not okay with this. This is not what his plan of succession was. And so instead, Solomon is crowned. Right. And Solomon, you know, I guess he gets the people on his side. And so he, he's the one who actually ends up keeping the throne, which is, which is what David wanted all along. Right. It's hard to know exactly what the heart behind this is because there's a part of me that feels like Adonijah is just going, hey, you know what? Absalom was the oldest son. I'm the next oldest son. My dad's on his deathbed. I'm the rightful heir. As if maybe he doesn't know about David's wishes. Um, or maybe, maybe because David's still alive, then instead of waiting until David passes and his wishes are announced to the people, he says, hey, if we jump the gun, then maybe we can create such a momentum that when David's wishes are announced, he'll be like, well, you know what? He's already here and it's a lot of work to put up a, a new ceremony for crowning a new king all over again. Let's just stick with this one and see how it goes. Uh, so I, I think B is probably the right way to go about it. Uh, it seems like he's being a little underhanded and trying to undercut uh, what David's plans were. Um, but in the, end, in the end, David goes ahead and turns over the crown even before his death. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And so Solomon is established as a king. And, uh, and then David kind of encourages Solomon to do some house cleaning once uh gets set up and so we we see that we see we see kind of there's like this unfinished business that for whatever reason david wasn't going to finish in his own lifetime for right you know because of he he had given his word that he would not personally you know enact certain judgments but he certainly wasn't opposed to those things happening after he passes away and so we see solomon uh, sending out Benaiah, who is like, you know, his new kind of hunting dog, uh, <laughs> yes. execution, whatever you want to call him. And uh, yeah, he takes care of some business. Yeah. So the first things that, uh, that Solomon's going to do as king, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know what it's like for prime ministers as much. Uh, but in the US, when we have a new president, it's always the first hundred days um, right. is a big point of measurement. Uh, Solomon gets his record of his first uh, first acts as king. Uh, a couple of people killed, and a woman married. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's been a, he's a busy guy early on. So uh, establishing himself. Yeah. So let's talk about this this woman. The the in the inside of the story of the the people killed uh, includes his brother Adonijah, um, right? Who he at first extends mercy to. And then tells him, watch your step. Uh, and then maybe, maybe in an arbitrary move, uh, loses his life. Maybe Solomon's yeah. got a quick trigger finger. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say, right? Yeah, Adonijah spare, or sorry, Solomon spares Adonijah, but kind of says, kind of alludes to the fact that like, he, better, he better watch himself. Right. And then Adonijah asks for... Uh, concubine i guess of david's 
who was kind of who cared for him. I would say a servant woman because the Bible's very clear to tell us that nothing went on. Yeah, he didn't sleep with her or anything. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, but this, so you could say like a nurse, right? Like kind of like the life hospice nurse, whatever we want to say. And uh, and Solomon is not happy with that request. Right. He likens it. He says he might as well ask for the whole kingdom. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, neither do I. You know, yeah. we, we kind of talked briefly about this, how there's, there's certain like cultural and historical things that, you know, when, when we're reading this, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but it probably did to ancient Israel. And they're like, oh, how could he ask for that? But to us, yeah, sometimes it's just, okay. All right, yeah, we're, we're kind of left. We're kind of left to presume. And to be honest with you, to, to presume is just going to sort of, you know, expose your own thoughts on what already happened. Like if you're going to presume that Adonijah asking for this has some sort of cultural relevancy that would uh, mean that he was trying to slowly build back up and usurp, then, then that just sort of exposes the fact that you're reading that Solomon did the right thing. That's uh, true. And, right. and, and it's really just going to be telling on yourself and, and your preconceived notion, because you could also read it in such a way as to say, boy, Solomon really jumped the gun here. He said he was going to extend mercy, but he had a quick trigger finger uh, and, and he wasn't so merciful, which is just going to show that you think he made a mistake uh, right. because the text really leaves room to pursue my one way or the other. And, and I think really the most honest way to go about it is to go about it saying, I, I, don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't condemn it. Uh, the Bible doesn't celebrate it. It just says, this is what happened. Sure. Yeah, no, totally. And then, then we get into the scene that is, you know, one of, one of the most well-known things about Solomon is when he is going and offering sacrifices, um, God comes to him in a dream and asks or tells him that he can have whatever he asks for. Mm-hmm. And Solomon famously asks for wisdom. And, you know, he kind of couches that request within the fact that like, you know, he is young, he is untested in battle, right? He's not like a David. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't gone on multiple campaigns and, and, and established himself with that kind of reputation. And so he wants wisdom to discern what is right so that he can judge uh, Israel righteously. And so God is impressed with that answer or that request and, uh, and blesses him for it. Yeah. He's, he's happy that it wasn't a personal request, mm-hmm. right? That he doesn't um, ask for something that he would benefit from, but instead what the people would benefit from and that the people right. would benefit from his wisdom. And we see this, like you're saying, we see this immediately with uh the the two prostitutes that come and they bring the baby kind of a famous story we just sort of leave it at that uh although you said that that this story is burned in into your mind because of a a particular painting from a children's bible um it's an it's an interesting story to uh illustrate in a children's bible yeah i I, as I was reflecting on it, yeah, it was an interesting choice because this was, you know, like most children's Bibles, doesn't have every single story of the Bible, right? It would pick maybe like a hundred or so. And, uh, and this, was, this was an important 
important enough to make the cut, I, I guess. So anyways, yeah, as a very young child, I remember seeing a very realistic depiction of this scene. So yeah, burned into my mind. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, uh, he asked for wisdom, but he doesn't always live out wisdom. That's true. Right? Like there's, there are times inside of uh, Solomon's life when you, when you ask, the, like you humble yourself to say, the Bible is very clear to say that there was none before nor after th that held the wisdom that Solomon had. Mm -hmm. So for me to come in and say, well, I think I have wisdom greater than Solomon's um, is unbiblical. And, and arrogant <laughs> uh, and, and probably naive is probably the best way to say it. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, his wisdom doesn't make him flawless. He doesn't perfectly act on perfect wisdom, right? Uh, so it, it, just because his wisdom was the greatest doesn't mean that he's all-knowing uh, or that he's all-wise. And it also doesn't mean that he bears absolute discipline to carry out and live according to that wisdom. Yeah. Um, and, and yep. one of the things he does right off the bat that kind of brings into question, it's another one of those things that the Bible doesn't condemn, the Bible doesn't condone, uh, but he marries the daughter of Pharaoh. Yeah. From a political standpoint, we know that this means uh, that the pacts that he makes here with Egypt and, and again with Tyre later on, uh, it shows that Israel is no longer this sort of wandering band of people, but they're a legitimate nation being recognized by the world's superpowers, right? Yeah. Uh, you were saying that it talks about the expanse of the kingdom and how it went all the way to the Euphrates. You know, grab a map and figure out how far it is from uh, the Mediterranean all the way to the Euphrates. It's, uh, it's significant. And, oh, yeah. and other kingdoms recognize this. Um, and, and he enters into this pact with Egypt. Different scholars handle this differently. Uh, I was reading Adam Clark on this, and uh, Adam Clark is like, there's no way this was a good idea. Uh, those who say it was a good idea have to presume that the woman was a proselyte or whatever because the law very clearly said, do not intermarry with the people uh, outside of, of the promise, right? Don't, intermarry, don't move into the land and intermarry with those people. Uh, and here he goes into Egypt and he marries her. He marries all kinds of women from the region, creating packs with them. Um, you, you made the notion that he's not a one woman man. And then you said he's not even a 100 woman man. <laughs> yeah, he's more like a 1000 woman man is kind of more Solomon style, which is, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's going to come back to bite him. It is. It is. It really, really is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, I mean, the the reasoning behind these marriages and and the you know the relationships with the foreign nations and and you know in the short term were those things valid or not i mean i'd be inclined to say no mm -hmm. um but certainly um certainly the result of those unions in the long term uh is is going to be devastating right i think it's safe to say that it's going to be devastating for israel um but let's let's leave the foreshadowing at, at, at that for now but at some point most mm -hmm. people would argue his first bride but at some point along the way at least one of these women gripped his heart to the point that he would write a poem or three or 
however many. They'd be collected as the Songs of Solomon. That's right, yeah. A collection of love poems. The, yeah. the Song of Songs. Like the, it, greatest, it, the greatest song ever. <laughs> it, it, could be, it could be that each of the various songs were for a different woman. That's, um, yeah, possible. Because, because he had enough women uh, in his life to, uh, to inspire enough songs. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Song of Solomon and where it rests inside of scripture and what it means for us. Um, you know, I, I, when I think about people like John MacArthur, who has successfully at his tenure in his church preached every word of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think about things like working his way through Job uh, yeah. and working his way through Song of Solomon. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah what's, your, what's your three application points, John, from <laughs> three? <laughs> right. Three, if it's going to be a Baptist sermon, it has to be three points in a poem. Your points right. either have to rhyme or begin with the same letter. Uh, sure. maybe, maybe I need to go back and find that. Um, now, <laughs> now, there's a chance that he takes the allegorical approach. Sure. So explain to us a little bit uh, briefly at a high level. What is that allegorical approach to Song of Solomon? Okay, so the, the allegorical approach to this to Song of Solomon is an understanding, uh, an opinion that the Song of Solomon is really about the relationship between Christ and the church, or in the Old Testament context, perhaps God and the nation of Israel. But in any mm-hmm. case, that it is that is representative of the spiritual relationship that exists between God and his people. And so this is, you know, held by many, right? It's, it certainly is kind of the more, dare we say, spiritual sounding views, I mm-hmm. guess. Like it's, it's, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's something that is hotly debated, right? Like, I mean, Song of Solomon, the meaning of Song of Solomon is perhaps it's almost like the it's like the revelation of Old Testament. It's like the the one thing that like you know God fearing believers just can't get along on and how they interpret that book. Right. But but yeah, the allegorical approach is that it is symbolic. Uh, it typifies the relationship between God and His people, Christ and His church. Insert the blank. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and I gotta say, um, generally in this, I, I'm gonna say you know like God fearing people believe it both ways. In the end, it doesn't matter to me. I'm pretty strong on against the allegorical approach, and, and here are my reasons for it. Uh, in the Old Testament, the idea of God the Father being a groom, a bridegroom, and Israel being the bride is out of place. It, it just doesn't, like father and son is the relationship description there. Um, but the, the idea of the bride and the bridegroom, it, it exists in very few places. So you have like a prophet we're going to read later on who is going to go and marry a woman. He calls them an adulterous nation uh, all through uh, <laughs> some very colorful language throughout Jeremiah. Um, so <laughs> some of you will read Jeremiah and think, I can't take my Bible to church anymore if it has words like this in it. Uh, and, uh, and, and so there, there is, it, it's not to say that it's devoid of that. But it's not the primary vehicle uh, for that description. And it's instead generally Christ and the church, which is what most allegorical 
uh, proponents would, would say this is Christ in the church. Um, but that puts it in a weird spot because now we've got this book that exists for hundreds and hundreds of years and is brought into the canon that just sort of is a placeholder until we have the establishment of the Christ and the church as the common understanding of the relationship between the second person of the Trinity and uh, the church that is redeemed by his atonement. Uh, the other thing inside of it is there's just not a whole lot in this that you can spin into a direct correlation between the love that we have for God, for Christ, and the love that Christ has for us. Um, yeah. This is very physical. Oh, yeah. Very physical. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's very a reason. Visual. Yeah, there's a reason Jewish boys weren't allowed to read this um, when they were, they were studying. Uh, and, and, and so I, I just don't feel like those analogies really or, or if they were analogies they would really carry over i think instead what it's being taught here is one of the greatest gifts that god has given to his people is the love between a man and a woman yeah and that is a gift given by god to be celebrated and cherished and it is biblically celebrated yeah yeah i would agree and i think insofar as you know, the, the love that a husband has for his wife is in a sense a picture of mm-hmm. the love that God has for people. There is some kind of connection to a, to a Ephesians five tells us. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But, uh, but yeah, primarily this is, this is about a man and a woman and all you have to do is read it. I mean, just read it and you will, you will get that sense that this is, this is about two people who love each other very much. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, to try and kind of, like cram the gospel into song of solomon i think takes away from what it's actually about yeah i I would agree i agree uh there was a note that you wanted to uh, point out in uh chapter eight yes so chapter eight uh verses six and seven we kind of get a summary of this description of the intensity of uh this the love that these two people have for one another and uh, so verses six and seven, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes. Uh, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And so it just kind of speaks to uh, the, in- the intensity of of human love for one another um and and potentially even the 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 potential for destruction in that flame that that uh, flame of the lord right that that it's flashes or flashes of fire um, mm-hmm. i mean it's i don't know i gotta be careful what i say here so yeah anyways that's <laughs> <laughs> so the uh when when Lindsay and i were married uh we wrote our own vows uh, as best we could from from scriptural reference, and they were they were not the same, but they both ended with the same paragraph, mm-hmm. and our vows ended with, "And I will wear my love for you like a seal over my heart, like a seal on my arm, because my love for you is as strong as death." Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Did you also say her nose was like a tower and her hair was like a flock of goats? And 
<laughs> talk about her navel in front of the whole church. That would have been bad. No, I, I, it's, I'm sorry. I remember there was, oh, there was a guy from the Gaither vocal band back mm-hmm. in the day, Mark Lowry. He was like a comedian, Christian right. comedian on the side. Right. And he did this music of like the woman from Song of Solomon, which was like, it was kind of like this like groovy love song but with the description and, and there was like this cartoon character. It was hilarious. I remember watching as a kid, I grew up on Gaither stuff. So that's why I know that anyways. Anyways, let's move on to the Psalms. Cause we, we've got some Psalms to touch on here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the first day, day 148, there is a load of Psalms. Yeah. Um, but it's okay because later on we have a day with only one Psalm. That is, I think longer. Although, although the one psalm is quite significant. Uh, so that, that first day, the whole first day, I understand that there's more than a handful. But the last one, Psalm 118, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. man, that one just cut. Yeah. Oh, give it's thanks so to the Lord for he is good. Mm-hmm. His steadfast love endures forever. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and you were saying too as we were as we were going through this that the number of worship songs or hymns that you see that have taken lines from that that psalm, uh, there, there's there's many, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just rich with uh, lyrical beauty. Uh, yeah, it's a great one. Um, yeah, verse twenty five: Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then we kind of move through there's a few other there's a few other psalms kind of uh from late later on in David's life. He writes one Psalm 71 kind of ta- like asking God for support when he is out of strength, right? He's in his old age. He's he's not well anymore mm-hmm. and just praying for God to sustain him even even as his strength is failing. Uh mm-hmm. but but the even one, one written by Solomon yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, Psalm 72, right? Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the psalm, it's him asking God to rule the people with wisdom and righteousness, mm-hmm. right? Asking for blessings for the people of Israel um, and that all peoples of the world would acknowledge Yahweh as God, as the Lord, right? So, um, yeah, so that was cool. But Psalm 119, I mean, that's where we're going to, we got to camp out for a little while here because that's... Yeah. That's our highlight, I think, for both of us this week. Yeah, so just the structure of it, um, I think, is worth pointing out. Uh, This is is an acrostic, right? So it goes through the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Vet, Gemel, Dalek, He, Luke, Kaf, Kaf, Selmet, Hayam, Pei, Fei, something like that. I don't know. That that right there is the only thing I retained from Hebrew (laughs) in seminary. And even that, there's someone that's going to send me an email and be like, you didn't get it right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but each, each section begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and, and it is significant. It's almost like a book of Psalms inside of Psalms. Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost its own book of the Bible in, in the way that it's organized like that. Um, but it's just, it's just fantastic. It, it's a fantastic look at a devoted heart. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what it, I see in it. And the celebration 
of God. This is what this is what struck me uh, about it. That when we want to celebrate God, and when we encourage people to celebrate God, we encourage people to celebrate God's love. And we encourage pre- people to celebrate God's power, His grace, and His mercy. But what's being celebrated here is God's law. Yeah, the way of the Lord is being celebrated and and i was really convicted in in just seeing how much of this is pointing to the law and how excited he is for the law and how much his heart desires the law and thinking you know what sometimes the ways of the lord we apologize for or we tell people endure these because for them there will also be grace and mercy and love and things that you actually want so we endure the way of the lord and that's not at all what is being talked about here. Here we're talking about the law, the way of the Lord being what is worthy of our celebration and our admiration. Yeah, yeah David, David says repeatedly, like, I take comfort in your law. I delight in your law. Oh, how I love your law. Like he is, for him, this is, this is like, this is such a positive thing for him. Like this is such a blessing that he has this direction for his life that, that God has given to him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right that it, it, it struck me as, wow, that's, that's the thing he's like most excited about. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's significant, right. That, that he wants to meditate on those teachings, right. He want he asked for help to understand them and to apply them and to carry them out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think this is a, a great lesson for us. I think in, in our current age of the church, what we want most from God is the feels, right? We want to sing songs and, and feel our hearts swell. Um, we want, we want the, that sort of thing to take place. And a lot of times people will even out loud downplay the reading of God's word. Uh, and be think, say things like, you know, like, oh, you get, you get so hung up in doctrine and God is bigger than doctrine and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the idea of, of being a student of the word of God and the idea of being a student of the doctrines of God is something that is relegated to the side of like, you're less than in love with God because you care about these things of the head that have nothing to do with the heart. And that is not what Psalm 119 tells us. Psalm 119 says, no, be in love with the word of God. Be in love with the means of God. Uh, for the author here, this is, this is the law. This is the way that God is setting apart his people. That law has been fulfilled and superseded in Jesus Christ. And we have that same admiration for the teachings of all of scripture uh, and the, the logos, the message of God and the means by which God is delivering us in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And those, those are things that we should, we should relish and appreciate and adore, right? Not just, not just the hope of our salvation, which obviously should give us joy and we should praise him, but even the things that he has given, you know, for us in the here and now um, to say that, yeah, like I, 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 I love the instructions of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I take joy in, in the, something like the sermon on the mount right that 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 calls me to live a life of holiness like that even in in that there is there's something of, of value for me 
right? Not that, not that we're saved through our obedience, but that, but that God is doing something through our sanctification that is, that is beautiful and, and ought to be enjoyable, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's what it, it, I think this is really a call to hunger and thirst for the way of the Lord, to hunger and thirst for his words, uh, for who he is uh, and what he has spoken to us. And, and to not put those things aside as less important because they're not emotive um, or, or to even classify them as less than emotive because, because here we definitely see an emotion for those things. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. In the, in the, kind of in the, this like age old question of head versus heart right? It doesn't need to be an either or situation. David oh, right. shows that it's a both and, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I used to, I'll admit, I used to get caught in that. Um, and, and here's what happened. This is going to sound pretty arrogant, but what happened is I started getting an education and I started realizing that the more I learned, the more I loved, hmm. Right. Um, and then I got to thinking about the concept of a relationship. If I'm in a relationship with someone and I have to say to that person, let's be careful how much I know about you because I don't want to love you less. <laughs> is that, is that a good relationship? Is that the kind of relationship? Do you think that's how I got Lindsay? That is, that is not how I ended up married to my wife. Uh, but instead, if we're truly in love to be able to say, the more I learn about you, the more I love you, that just speaks to right. uh, the beauty of that being. And, and with God being all beautiful and, and the, the, the uh, expression of all things good, then the more we learn about him, the more we learn about his goodness and his beauty and the more in love with him we will be. It's not the other way around. We, we can't say that the, you know, the less I know about you, the more I love you. That it, not only is it, does it not experientially work out that way, it just doesn't even make sense when you stop and break it down. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.